The more guests I talk to, and the more stories I hear, the even more clear it becomes that we as humans are not so different from one another. I've spoken to artists older than me, artists younger than me, and artists from all across the world. And no matter our backgrounds, we always seem to find something that we have in common. Today's guest made me feel like I was hearing part of my own life story in a way, especially when it comes to our childhoods and growing up being loners. Maybe you can find a bit of yourself in these stories and come to see how we are all not so different. This is the Myers Real Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Johnson, and this is Episode 7, David. So my name is uh, David spelled phonetically which was my parents idea wasn't mine that's why it's d-j-v-i-d um uh, but it's pronounced david i don't know a lot of people have uh, <laughs> a lot of people have trouble uh, pronouncing that when they see it uh i'm i'm a i'm an artist uh i guess uh, you could say i'm an illustrator more than an artist if you're being categorical about things i usually work in uh, a pointillistic that, that's stippling um, ink style. So I make individual dots um, and I make uh, a lot of illustrations. I've been working at it for how long has it been? Like, so I finished college in 2012. Yeah, that's 10 years. Wow. I've been working 10 years uh, with the dots. So I've made the uh, I don't know how many artworks I've made, but I've made a lot, and all of them had tiny, tiny dots. We're talking. I I have a my favorite pen, and basically the only one I I use is a, a, an isograph pen, which I loved the the size zero point one three millimeters which made tiny, tiny, tiny dots. We're talking literally 0.13 millimeters big, which is usually I worked in that. So the illustrations that I make are usually very small, except a few uh, larger originals, but it takes a long time usually anywhere. But the smaller pieces, the smaller it is, the quicker it's done. So it can take five hours. Uh, I think the one that, um, Took me the longest took 800 hours and the, the one that i'm making currently is gonna probably at the end take just about 800 hours as well that's just a rough estimate but 800 hours i mean i couldn't even imagine spending that many hours in say a video game but spending that many hours on one single drawing takes a lot of patience not everyone can sit and draw for that many hours but david has always been like that Ever since he was a kid, he just never got bored. I just kind of like drawing even then. You know, I just wanted to be left at my own devices and just do whatever I wanted, which was usually just drawing and and making up stories in my head. I, I really vividly remember one kid at my school once asking me, what are you doing in your, in your home for the whole day? And I just remember thinking, what do you mean? There's so many things to do. It, the, you can never get bored. Then later I realized that people do get bored. It's just me who's weird that way. So where did you grow up? Where are you from? I grew up in Slovenia. That's a small country in Europe. 
mostly known for uh, uh, what? What is it mostly known for? Well, we had uh, uh, America's first lady was Slovenian, the, the former one, Donald Trump's wife, Melania. She's from Slovenia. We have a famous philosopher, Slavoj Žižek. Um, yeah, uh, I grew up in Slovenia, born in 1992. If anyone wants to visit, it's a really nice country to visit. It's a very p- picturesque. What was the town like that you grew up in? I grew up in a small town, a small town of 10,000 people. So essentially, um, a bit more than a village. I grew up there. It's an industrial town. Well, it was, um, and I think a lot of the inspiration for the work I do originates from there, in a sense. Um, it's a, the post-industrial age, it was a coal mining town, uh, which lost the coal mine. So there was a lot of unemployment, you know, there a lot of those things. And just the machinery and everything associated with it kind of embedded itself in my subconscious. So I, I still draw a lot of uh, mechanical things. Usually, there's like a intertwining between the mechanical and the natural, which the the town itself has in it, like a, the remnant of a industri- industrial age now slowly taken over by nature. If I analyzed a lot of my works, I would find kind of a correlation of that. I could find like a subconscious link with a lot of stuff that I'm making. Looking back, would would you consider your childhood to be a good childhood? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, growing up in that sense, it, it objectively speaking, it was fine. Um, we did live with my parents at the time. We lived in a one bedroom apartment. My parents were quite poor, so I didn't have my own room until I was twelve, twelve or thirteen. Um, so we were living quite. In quite poor conditions, so you know, uh, no, I didn't have any huge toys or, or electronic equipment for the longest time. So I guess that also helped in developing enough patience to work in the style that I work in. <laughs> um, probably otherwise I wouldn't. Um, but yeah, it was just a very asocial, socially awkward. Um, kid mostly like just drawing and being left alone i was happiest when i was left alone even even and that continues to this day and as a kid did you feel like y'all were poor or did you only realize that kind of looking back on things um but no i didn't feel it at all my parents were very very good at, at not necessarily not showing it but i i felt no lack in that sense you know um, and I guess I wasn't really that much of a, a demanding kid. I basically wanted just to draw or I was in my own world most of the time, didn't really go out and such. But um, like whenever they had extra money, I would get poison and all of it uh, that I wanted. But I never wanted anything, you know, super expensive. So by the time that I was 12, when I got my room, they were financially a lot better. They were a lot more stable. So I never really felt it. Looking at it back now, I know they were struggling. Yeah. I know it was, for them, it was probably a very, very trying time financially. But as a kid, I was just in my own world. And I, I just like, even then, I like creating. So 
I would draw all the time, um, create my own little wor- worlds, and yeah, I was just in my own head. I was I was living in my own head, so I never really lacked anything. And when you weren't alone in your own imagination, uh, what did you and your friends get into at the time? Ah, oh, what would we do? Well, um, I think we would we would just played outside mostly. You know, at the younger ages. Um, we would play football or, or basketball. Basketball was big. Then I remember, you know, just outdoor activities. Later on in my teenage years, uh, as teenagers do, you get introduced to alcohol and uh, you start developing an interest in the opposite sex. So that becomes a very interesting experiment. Um, um, I got, a, you know, the typical teenage uh, debauchery and uh, Stupid shit that you regret as soon as you hit 21. I was kind of like David growing up. I would always rather be inside by myself, either drawing or playing video games, just messing around on the computer. I often didn't get bored. It was fun to just get lost in my own imagination and explore the internet and try to soak up all the knowledge I could from stupid YouTube videos, I guess. Another thing me and David have in common, as ironic as it may seem, is a desire to play the guitar and to become a rock star. To be honest, like the only artistic thing that I did in my teenage years was uh, music. I got really heavily into music. One day when I was 14, I remember seeing a guitar in, in a store. Never touched, never, I mean, I've seen guitars before, but I never even had a thought about them. And suddenly I just had a huge urge of like, I need that. And I remember telling my dad, like, I need that. I, some, we need to buy this. Uh, just to let you know how smart I am, um, we bought the guitar and I didn't figure out for a few months, I think two months, that actually uh, pushing your fingers on, on the neck would change the pitch of the, of the notes. And I realized, oh, wow, you can actually, oh, wow, you can actually make music with this. That's amazing. That's how they do it. So my teenage years, especially high school years, I was just, I, I didn't draw at all then, at all. I was just, the guitar was my life. Like I spent, that was my obsession then. And I just, at that time, you know, you have high school bands and you have all of that. And I joined a few. I, I'm pretty good at guitar now because of that period then because I just couldn't stop playing. That was the only thing on my mind. I was convinced that I was going to be a high school dropout because I was going to go into a rock band, even though it was 2000 and what, 2003, four, when rock music really wasn't what it was. But I thought, no, I'm going to, I'm going to make a band. We're going to be like Aerosmith or something and we're going to rule the world. So you were in a band and how long uh, did the band last? I, I, we just dabbled in, in, you know, it was the, the basic, uh, the basic recipe for any rock band, uh, which is have four or five teenage guys who are really into the rock and roll lifestyle, despite them being quite socially awkward and, um, thinking they can kind of bridge the gap of communication by at least being 
slightly interesting enough to someone to approach them and say, oh, you play music. And being that the gateway to communication, because otherwise, especially as a teenager, you have no idea what to say, especially to girls, of course. Um, but yeah, th those. I think I would. I would be. If I found a recording from that time, I would definitely not listen to it. In fact, I would probably delete it. I'd be like, "Oh, that's from two thousand and seven. Yeah, that goes in the bin." When David was heavy into guitar in high school, the drawing became a second thought. Obviously, today the roles have been reversed, and his drawings are now his main focus. It's still a part of my life, not as big as it was then. It, now it's become, I would say that that is a hobby. You know, I see illustration and artwork more as a passion and a kind of thing that I can't stop doing. And music has become the hobby that kind of relaxes. And but we didn't. I didn't think I have any recorded music from, from that time. Not that I think. Turns out he didn't drop out to be a rock star, but instead decided to go to college. And then as soon as high school ended, had to apply for a university or faculty or whatever. Uh, I had no idea what to do. And a friend of mine said, hey, you should probably join this school. Um, it's a design school. It would really, I think you would like it. I saw that. I said, yeah, that, that actually makes sense. And as soon as I went to faculty, the guitar dropped and I started drawing again. And then developed that for years to come. Suddenly I found the urge to draw again. It was just an, it's an intermittent period in high school that stopped that for five years or so because the guitar was king. And afterwards I found drawing again. I was like, yeah. Back then being more socially awkward and, and having the works you make be so deeply connected to your mental state. Um, did you share these works with other people or did you keep them to yourself? Oh, back then, no, no chance. Back, no, no, no. Uh, especially in my, well, I didn't draw as much in high school. I basically didn't. But even um, before that, I would just not share with anyone. Because the, I feared ridicule way too much. I, I feared like if somebody saw this and said that um, it, it was crap, I would just never do it again. It would just kill any joy. So in the early years, I would I didn't share anything. And even the beginning journey, um, not too long ago, uh, I opened the the portfolio that I have for which with which I um, applied to the university, and I cringed. So hard, I wanted to throw everything in the garbage. It was so so bad, and thank God I didn't. <laughs> I didn't share it then. You know, I only started sharing online much later, much much later. Uh, um, I occasionally shared a few things before that, but I I would delete it almost the next day instantly. It's like, because what am I doing? You know, am I just Back then, it was a question of, am I just doing this for attention? Or what is it? You know, why am I sharing this? But later, I only became like confident enough to say, like, yeah, I'll just put it there and see what happens. When looking back on these older works, are you able to recall what you were going through during that time period? 
Yeah, definitely. I think me drawing is essentially a visual diary. So I always have a recollection of what was happening at the time of making it. And not maybe in a true memory sense, but more in a feeling, more as a kind of a residual memory of what was my inner world at the time. Um, so I always have that, even with those artworks, you know, and I always having the feeling of the frustration of, I know that what's in my head is a lot better than what's coming out of my hand. And how the hell do I do what's in my head and put it onto paper? How, how does one do that? That was the, a lot of that was that. So are all your works planned out beforehand? I mean, I would assume that they'd have to be considering the style that you work in. Um, I always, I, I, even back then, and especially now, I just can't, I, I can't doodle. Like I can't just um, sketch for the sake of sketching most of the time or just for even studies or anything. I always needed um, an extra bit. It, it needed to make, it, it needed to have um, some substance to it. It needed to feel something that I wanted it to be. Because just doodling for the sake of it or it, it it felt insufficient. It felt like it needed more. I, I needed I needed more to, to be even stimulated to make it. And as soon as I realized that I can actually that this, and I realized it gradually, but once I realized this is essentially a visual diary of all of my thoughts and feelings from a certain period, then it became. Um, it kind of opened up world like I can this is what I'm doing now it's not doodling it's not nothing I'm essentially you know mapping out my my uh, my uh, thoughtscape if that's a word so after you finish a piece do you get a feeling of uh, sort of mental clarity yeah in, in fact I do um, I did go through to a therapist a few times in my life and whenever this came up, uh, the therapist would say, yeah, you, you should definitely continue that for sure. Because it, it, it always, if nothing else, it clarifies the, 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 any jumbled up emotions, anything that kind of, you know, becomes too intertwined and you can distinguish one emotion and one thought from the other. Um, once I finish an artwork, I can, it feels liberating. There's that catharsis feeling, feeling of uh, something being uh, kind of figured out, in a sense. And when did you start drawing with this technique of using dots? Well, the first one I made was in 2013. I remember that, the one that I said that I said I would never do again. Um, I always liked, uh, I always liked ink, ink medium. I liked the, 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 the black and white contrast that ink provides, but I also really liked, uh, realism and surrealism and you know, things like that. So in 
um, design school, somebody introduced me to, uh, said, you know, you should try dots. Um, it's, you know, the printer style. They called it the printer style. You can be like a printer, right? You can do dots, and if you want that realism and ink, you should try that. And I tried that with the very first design I did, which was, uh, I think, like a, like a memento mori kind of piece of a skull and books and something. And I just remember hating it so much. From the bottom of my heart, I was cursing out everyone who advised me to do this. And why am I, why am I doing this? Like, this is so time consuming. Um, I said I would never do it again. About a month later, I did it again. I don't remember what I did, but I just said to myself, yeah, maybe I should give it another try. And, um, I really liked it. David sees his art process as more of a meditation. He doesn't get overwhelmed by the amount of time that's needed to complete a single piece. He normally just sits back and relaxes while listening to a podcast or other content. I don't consider it work. It, it feels like a meditation. And I even heard that, um, uh, that I, I could consider this like a working meditation, I think they call it, or something of the kind, where you do something, but it's still considered like the the repetitiveness of the of the itself feels it kind of puts your head in a trance and that's what's happening now it basically feels blissful i'm completely aware in the sense of what i'm doing i'm i'm in control i know what's happening but my mind relaxes immensely it feels like a um like a true yeah like a true meditation um and on top of that, that slowly developed. I realized that it was really beneficial in that sense for me. But um, there was something about it that always fascinated me. And that's that, in fact, the, the whole drawing is black and white. Like, because there's black dots and there's white paper. But looked at, looked at from a distance, there's undeniably shades of gray. And that just that always blew my mind, even though it's such a simple thing. but. You know, just the separation between the dots could create a, a, a grayish color, a light gray, a dark gray, or complete black, even though it's nothing but black. And somehow, um, thematically, almost philosophically, that felt very compelling. Within David's works, stories play a huge role. From a young age, he was an avid reader and would often take the stories he had read and go over them in his own mind and change them to his liking. So what do stories mean to you? You know, how, how, do, you, how do you explain a very complex thing, which is human um, thoughts and, and human emotions and morality in general? How do you explain it in a story? And I always found the, the best stories to be the ones that are very succinct. Um, they can be short, but that are incredibly, you know, poignant and powerful. And the story is very, very direct. It, it hits you no matter. It, you might even not know straight away what it's saying, but you know that you've been struck. Stories, art and creating has always been in David's DNA. It kept him entertained as a kid, and it allowed him to sort through his thoughts and tell the stories he wanted to tell through a medium that he found calming. What would you say 
the meaning of art is, the meaning of art for you at least? I think for me personally, I think art is the pinnacle of humanity in the sense I think it's the best, and at times of course the worst, but also the best humans have to offer. Even at their darkest, some of the best art is from the darkest of places, some of the best art is also from the, the best of places. It just is the most human thing we have. Um, and it connects us really, you know, we spoke about the vision a lot as well, but um, I think it's art is the one thing that if you're left in a room with a painting or a drawing or whatever, and you're left with it, you will, you will start to have a connection to it. Now, the connection might be, I really don't like this. The connection might be like, I don't care for this. But it will be like having an actual conversation with a human, only you're doing it in your head. Because you know it's made by humans. You know it's made by us. So it always has that all of humanity to it. And, that, and that's, I think, the greatest power of art is really that no matter the circumstances it will connect humans humans and i think that's the really it's it's magic it's the most human thing we have i, I believe the most we have reasoning we have a lot of things but um art has the ability to really express what's inside it I always thought it like there's the old saying of our consciousness is the universe observing itself, right? And I thought like evolutionary, if you're very pragmatic, if you think very rationally and scientifically, I guess, art really doesn't make sense. It does, but it doesn't. Like there's no need for it per se. There's no there's no survival mechanism direct to our you know immediate threat or anything that art will solve but no matter every culture has it every person does it so it's definitely deeply ingrained in us and i think it's the the need to communicate i guess communicate with where words fail sometimes or the the need to express things which you don't know else how to do and images are usually ones that are very well suited for that so yeah i think it's the most human thing we have i think it's the yeah the 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 top of our achievement a big thanks to david for coming on this episode of the podcast and sharing his story you can check out works by david featured in our current exhibition titled hail of a ride the show is currently live on our website myartisrail.com If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family so we can keep making more. This episode was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Jacob Johnson, and I will see you in the next episode of the Martyrs Road Podcast.